There's this false idea floating around that Christians are supposed to be submissive and passive and compliant and that they're not supposed to ask any provocative questions or have any real objections to things that are going on in the culture, things that are going on in society or in the political arena, that we're just supposed to sit in the corner and be quiet and be meek, and be gentle, and be nice, and don't say anything to offend anybody. Well, I think nothing could be further from the truth, and I think that false idea has come from bad exegesis of what Paul says and what Peter says about Christian submission. So with that in mind, can we talk? Hey, friends. This is From the Pulpit, a series of podcasts based on the Sunday morning sermons at Liberty Church. My name is Pastor Matthew Moss, and I'm so glad you've decided to join me for this episode of From the Pulpit. If I have learned anything in the last 18 months... It's that a lot of people think Christians have nothing to say about what goes on in the culture, in society, and in politics. A lot of people think Christians should just shut up. And those aren't just people outside the church. Those are people inside the church, too that we just need to shut up and comply. And, uh, you know, the Bible tells us to be in submission to governing authorities. So get to submitting. A couple of weeks ago in a message I preached entitled, What Does the Bible Say About Submitting to the Government? Uh, I was very adamant that God's ideal for submission to governing authorities is that his followers would willfully submit to servant leadership, to God-honoring leadership. That's God's ideal. And I submitted that much, if not all, of our human institutions in North America have separated themselves from God divorced him, and abandoned him. And though we are indeed required to still honor those who are in governing authority, we are required to obey God first and foremost. Yes, it's true that all authority is from God, but remember, not all authority is God-honoring. And if governing authorities pass laws that do not honor God or if they pass laws that require believers to disobey God in some way, then we as Christians are required to peacefully disobey those very same governing authorities, and and we have biblical precedent to do so. Those same governing authorities told Peter and James to stop preaching in the name of Jesus, and they said, no, we, we will not stop. We obey God because God is above all. 
and we obey Jesus, God's son, because Jesus is the king of kings and Lord of lords. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that God the Father is putting everything under the authority of his son. And John, in John chapter 5, quotes Jesus when Jesus said that all authority had been given to him to judge the nations, that the Father gave the Son all authority. So Jesus is above all, and his followers must submit to him and him alone. As people who are living in submission to Christ, we must be appropriately submitted to governing authorities. Appropriately submitted. There is such thing as an appropriate level of submission, and the New Testament is very clear when it talks about Christian submission. Let's take a few minutes to examine what the Apostle Peter has to say about submission in his first letter to the elect exiles of the dispersion. Chapter 2, verse 18, he, he talks to servants and he tells them to be um, in submission to their masters and not just the good and, and gentle masters, but also be in submission to the unjust masters. When we, uh, when we hear the word servant here, we have to remember that the vast majority of servants in ancient times were slaves and they were treated as property. Now, unlike the slavery that we're familiar with in North America, people in the ancient world were not primarily subjugated and forced into slavery based on their skin color or their country of origin. Rather, a lot of the slaves that were owned in the ancient world entered into that slavery willfully for a couple of reasons, one, to pay off a financial debt, and two, to pay off a debt to society. Now, listen, I'm fully aware that wherever there are slave-master relationships, there's going to be abuses. And, and that's why the New Testament writers wrote so extensively about appropriate slave-master relationships and appropriate uh, slave-master submission. And the New Testament writes a lot about how both slave and free can be part of the body of Christ and enjoy equality in the household of God. Peter says, submit to your masters. Servants, submit to your masters, not just the good and gentle ones, but even the unjust ones. Now, don't forget, Peter is writing to these elect exiles of the dispersion, people who left their homes, their jobs, even their families because of their confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. That confession made them an enemy of the state, made them an enemy of the empire because the creed of the Roman Empire was Caesar is Lord. But the creed of the early church was and still is Jesus is Lord. And so that confession made them enemies of the state and fugitives. That's why they were dispersed all over Asia Minor. And in their dispersion, these elect exiles were being subjected to all kinds of unjust authority. 
And Peter reminds them that as followers of Christ, they were to be in submission to all authority, especially unjust authority. They were to be appropriately submitted to all authority, even unjust authority, because submission to unjust authority provides a witness to the unsaved. This submission is not to be understood as passive compliance, but this submission is to be understood as a refusal to be violent in their objection to unjust authority. I'll say it again. This submission is not to be understood as passive compliance. It's not to be understood as just do what they say so that nobody gets offended. No, they had already done the offending. That's why they were elect exiles. Peter says, make sure that you are not violent in your objection. Remember, it was Peter to whom Jesus said, if you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. And he said that after Peter cut off the ear of the Roman, uh, the Roman soldier, Malchus, and Jesus had to miraculously reattach it. So Peter knows about reacting violently uh, to unjust authority. But he reminds them here now, after he has encountered the resurrected Christ and after he has been filled with the Holy Spirit and baptized in the Holy Spirit, uh, he reminds them that they must never be violent in their objection to unjust authority. Rather, they should submit to it because it provides a witness to the unsaved. Peter's reminding the elected exiles that they are to be subject to their masters, even the masters that are unjust. And he says that this demonstrates the grace of God to unbelievers. And he says that Christ did the very same thing. Remember, Christ came to his own and his own did not receive him. His own treated him unfairly. His own betrayed him. His own beat him. His own crucified him. And even so, Jesus was perfectly obedient to the Father, even to the point of suffering and death at the hands of those he came to save. That's why Peter reminds his audience, and, and he reminds us by extension, that even when we are treated unfairly by our masters or by our employers, even when human institutions and governing authorities treat us unfairly, we are not to react the way the world reacts. We must expect that type of unfair treatment, but we must demonstrate the grace which Jesus demonstrated in response to such unfair treatment. Now, in chapter 3, verse 1, Peter talks about how wives are to be in submission to their husbands. He says, likewise, wives, be in submission to your husband's the same type of patient and peaceful submission expected of servants flows into the marriage relationship as well. Peter tells wives to be subject to their husbands. He says that a woman who is in submission to her husband is actually involved in evangelism. Peter literally tells his female audience that when wives are in submission to their husbands, even their unbelieving husbands, 
that they are preaching the gospel without words. And then he also encourages these same women not to be so concerned with adorning their external appearance with the braiding of their hair and and the putting on of fancy jewelry and clothes, but rather he encourages them to adorn their hidden person, their inner person, to adorn that person with an imperishable beauty that doesn't fade, to adorn that person with gentleness and a quietness of spirit which is precious in God's sight. Down a little further in verse 7, Peter addresses the role of the husband. You see, after he calls for citizens and servants and wives to be in submission, he finally and, and most significantly calls husbands to live in an understanding way with their wives and to honor their wives. I mean, this was a radically countercultural doctrine in the ancient world for husbands to honor their wives. I mean, in the ancient world, wives were given about as much consideration as the servants of the house were given. The radical teaching here in 1 Peter and, and, and throughout the New Testament is not what Peter and the other New Testament writers expect of the women. I mean, that was... That was already expected of women in the culture that they would submit to their husbands. I mean, they were already considered second-class citizens. So the radical teaching here in 1 Peter is not what Peter expects of the women, but what he expects of the men, that they would actually understand and honor their wives, that they would get to know their wives, who they are, what they like, what they dislike, The radical teaching is that the Christian husband was commanded to love his wife the same way that Christ loved the church. That they were commanded to show their wives honor as the weaker vessel. The weaker vessel... Physically, probably. The weaker vessel socially, absolutely. That Christian husbands lived by a different standard. Why were they commanded to honor their wives and love their wives? Because Peter says they are equal in the household of God, in the body of Christ, in the community of faith. In in the church, men and women are equal. They have different and distinct roles, but they are equal. In Colossians chapter 3.11, Paul says that here, in the body of Christ, in the household of God, there's no such thing as male, female, Jew, Gentile, circumcised, uncircumcised, slave, free. Just that Christ is, is all and is in all. Now that doesn't mean that there's no diversity in the body that there's no such thing as gender or race. No, that's, that's not what Paul is saying here to the Colossians. What he's saying is that there is total equality in the body of Christ. There is great diversity, but total equality. 
I mean, what's so funny is that the world's out there looking for diversity, equality, and inclusion. If only they would look to the scriptures and act accordingly. Then they'd find all that they're looking for. But no, instead they follow the spirit of the age. They follow the doctrine of demons. They, they uh, follow the elemental principles of the world. And thus they descend into chaos and confusion and disorder and evil and debauchery of every kind trying to achieve what can only be achieved by obeying the word of God. So don't forget that. People like to paint Christians as bigots and racists and closed-minded and exclusionary. But in fact, the opposite is true. Satan has blinded the eyes of the culture. They can't see it, but we, we need to see it and we need to say it. We need to see that there is nothing but diversity, equity, and inclusion in the kingdom of God. We are the most diverse people group. We are the most equitable. We are the most inclusive. The church is made up of every tribe, nation, and tongue. Within that, we are all equal under Christ, and everyone can be included if they come through the one way. I mean, it's so simple. If only the world would look to the scriptures and act accordingly, They'd find all they're looking for. But Satan has blinded their eyes so that seeing so serious is Peter about husbands honoring their wives and living with them in an understanding way that he tells them that if they don't do that, their prayers will be hindered. I mean, that's a strong statement. Live with your wives in an understanding way and honor her as the weaker vessel because you are both heirs to the grace of life and do this so that your prayers won't be hindered. I thought about this for quite a while. I think Peter here is talking about the outward expressions of our inward faith. And what I think he means is this. If you don't do the stuff that comes from the heart if you don't honor your spouse, if you don't understand your wife, don't worry about trying to honor God outwardly because it'll have little to no effect. I don't think that Peter means to say that if husbands don't honor their wives that God's not going to listen to their prayers. I think he means to say that if husbands don't honor their wives, they aren't listening to God. To live estranged from your spouse is to live estranged from God. Your marriage relationship has a profound impact on your relationship with God. Remember, it was God that joined you together. And don't forget that he's the third person in that marriage covenant that you made with your spouse. A healthy marriage serves as a practical illustration the kind of relationship that Christ has with his bride, the church. If that's what our marriages are supposed to represent, then we better build strong marriages. Living a life of submission is living a life that puts others before ourselves. Living in Christian submission prefers other people in love. And the way of Jesus is opposite to the way of the world. A sinner can't put others first. 
A sinner can't prefer others in love. A sinner can't walk the way of Jesus. All a sinner knows how to do is satisfy the desires of their corrupt nature and indulge their sin desires. Sinners wake up each morning thinking of new ways to sin. Sinners want to set world records for sin. Sinners don't know how to live in submission. They don't know how to prefer others in love. Only followers of Jesus are capable of doing the opposite and living in genuine submission. Only Jesus, the Savior, can transform us from disobedient, lawless creatures into obedient, submissive citizens of heaven and children of God. Only Jesus can make that transformation possible. You can never transform yourself. Left to your own devices, you will conform to the pattern of this world. Left to myself, that's exactly what I'll do. I'll be conformed to the pattern of this world. Only Jesus, by his spirit, who leads us into all truth, can transform our minds. Jesus transforms our mind. He transforms it through his word. Today we've heard his word. His word has has commanded us and encouraged us and his word has empowered us to live in submission, not in passive compliance, but in a refusal to be violent in our objection and in a willingness to share in the suffering of our Savior who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. Don't let people tell you, Christian, that that you can't have an opinion about something going on in the culture and that you can't say something, that you can't speak to the conscience of the culture. We must. We must speak to the conscience of the culture. We must speak to the conscience of corrupt human institutions. It is our Christian obligation to do so. Do not let anyone silence you, but do not act in anger and in violence. That is not the way of Jesus. But speak to the culture. Speak to human institutions. Speak the truth in love to your neighbors, to your coworkers, to your family and to your friends. Even if it offends them, Christians, though we are called to be submissive, are not called to be doormats, and we are not called to be nicer than Jesus. We are called to speak the truth in love. We are called to give an account for the hope that lies within us with gentleness and respect, but we must give an account. If we don't preach, if we don't share the gospel, If we don't show the truth, then how will a lost and dying world ever see it? How will they ever hear it? How will they ever know it? 
friends, thank you for listening to this episode of From the Pulpit, a series of podcasts based on the Sunday morning sermons at Liberty Church. Let me know what you think in the comments section below. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give it a five-star rating and share it with a friend. So until next time, Jesus only, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else, Titus 2.13.